Hey, we're going to, um, I'm going to enjoy the Super Bowl tonight. I don't have a, a, a dog in the race or a horse in the race, and uh, although I do think San Fran is going to win, but uh, that was supposed to create a bit of a wave and a rumble. Yeah, but listen, I've said that for the last seven years, I've picked the wrong team every year, so please, you know, don't put money down or anything like that based on what I just said. Uh, but there's this thing going on in football and in sports in general, it's called analytics. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this, but you know, behind all of what you see going on in sports nowadays, there's analytics, and the analytics are not just for the team and the working of the team and the strategization and so on and so forth. Those analytics are actually in play for bookies, for betting, and for a number of other things. I mean, betting and booking is everywhere nowadays. We see it everywhere. It's the primary form of advertising, especially here in Canada. And, uh, but behind the scenes, what is going on is people are, are doing the analytics. In other words, they're keeping records of every infinitesimal detail of what is going on like factually, as it would relate to the game. And then what they do is they forward those analytics over time and there's like, there's predictable outcomes on the basis of analytics. There's predictable outcomes. And, and I gotta be honest with you, I don't know if you guys remember the Toronto game last year where the coaches pulled the pitcher, you know, four innings in, he's pitching phenomenal, but they went with the analytics they pulled the pitcher, the Blue Jays lost the game. I don't know if you remember, we were all a little upset. Like, what was he thinking? He's like hot, he's like, he's pitching a strong game. But someone in the background, this is exactly what happened. Someone in the background, an analytics guy, told the general manager, the general manager told the manager, and the manager said, we gotta get him out of there. Uh, the analytics say that he's done and that we're better to move with someone else. So you see the future is being impacted on the basis of, of what we might call good and predictable information. The problem with good and predictable information, no matter what we're referring to, and there's nothing inherently wrong with the information itself, it's just that we use it to predict the future. We use it to predict the future. I mean, there are people here that are in analytics, that's their career, and they're helping out you know, Home Depot, they're helping out Costco, they're helping out all of these corporations with analytics that help them see the future. Futurism is a big, big, big business boom. And companies want people that can see into the future on the basis of, basis of past algorithms and so on and so forth. So, the problem with that, though, again, is that we, we can't always predict what is to come. In fact, James, the book that we're studying in, really speaks against presumption related to what's going to happen in the future. And again, there's nothing wrong with planning for a future, but there is this overwhelming and even settling understanding that only God 
holds the future. Only God holds the future. So a guy like Brock Purdy, who is the quarterback of the wonderful San Francisco 49ers, he's a Christian. And that that doesn't mean he's going to win, by the way. But he is a Christian. And and if you heard him this week, he, he made some phenomenal statements related to the game and the prediction of, of who's gonna win. And, and so what I love about his answers is he's, in his answers he includes God. And he makes a statement, he said, yeah, I know, I, I understand that to be true. Yes, I, I hear that to be true. Yes, I understand that that's, that's that, that, that may happen, I, I get it. But what I do know more than anything is it's all in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. And that, that is the, an appropriate Christian response to analytics, to predictions, to the future. It's all in God's hands. And we're gonna look at James chapter four, verses 13 to 17 here today. And we're gonna see what James has to say about being wise about our future. An article in US News and World Report said, right now we're obsessed with the future. We wanna know what's gonna happen next, next year, next decade, next century. We're preoccupied with the future. It's amazing how people try all kinds of things to somehow get some sort of advanced knowledge on what's to take place. And so tea leaves and fortune cookies and astrology and palm reading. And we try many different ways to get a grasp on the future. We do it in Christian circles as well, by the way. We we, we think that if we do this, 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 and this, we we take a formulaic approach that we, and we, we pray for something and we believe that God's going to bless us with it, but again, there is in the Bible this whole ideology of if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. And sometimes our relationship with God is transactional in the sense that if we do this, 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 and this, then then God promises me this. And we're presumptuous towards that, that promise being fulfilled in the way in which we think it should be filled. So James in this passage talks about how to face the future as a Christian. He says there's three mistakes that we we commonly make and that we should be aware of and he's giving us warning. And he's giving us a dose of reality. And he says plan for your future but be aware of three mistakes that happen in the process of planning. And he illustrates the first mistake with a typical conversation between a couple of business people. Imagine this with me, a guy with an MBA from University of Jerusalem and another that is a CEO in a a Tel Aviv 500 company. And they're talking and they're discussing their plans. And in verse 13, we drop into their conversation out of James 4 and in verse 13 it says, now listen. Those of you, and it's like James is speaking to these two business people. He says, now listen, 
You say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and we will make money. The outcome. We will make money. Now, what's wrong with this? People make plans every day, and so they should. There is detail in a business plan, and it all needs to be planned out, absolutely. The bridge, one of its values is intentionality. To see what God is doing, to fulfill what God is doing, and to create you know, a church and organize accordingly. And, and we, we live with intention, we plan, we're not silly that way. But there is this, this warning that goes out. There's three warnings that go out, even after all of our planning. The Bible doesn't contend making a profit. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not contentious related to outcomes, but it certainly is wanting to speak to us about how we get to those outcomes. So the very first thing that James says related to a common mistake in planning is that we plan without God. We plan without God. There's not a single mention of God in that entire business plan that James was speaking to. He knew what he wanted, this person. He knew how to get there, but he didn't check it out with God. Don't misunderstand. Again, the Bible says no man goes out and builds a house without considering how much it is going to cost. In other words, planning is definitely an appropriate and wise thing to do. And of course, James is all about wisdom. And the book of Proverbs says over and over and over again that if I don't plan, I'm a fool. But he's not talking about planning. He's talking about presumption related to the future and not having God included in the equation. It's what we forgot to do. We forgot to include God. There's an article in Reader's Digest by Alexander Saul, and it says, since I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution, in the process I've, I've collected hundreds of personal testimonies, read hundreds of books, contributed, contribu sorry, contributed eight volumes of my own, but if I were asked today to formulate as precisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million Russians. I could put it more accurately than to repeat the phrase, Russians, he said, he said, Russians had forgotten that God exists. Russians had forgotten that God exists. And what is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to reflect anything more precise than this statement, men and women have forgotten that God exists. And this is what James is talking about. You can be a believer and actually forget that God exists in your daily life. 
And I know a lot of people who love the Lord with all their heart, and when it comes to planning their business and their career or their school education or their, or their practical, or their, or their things in their world, they are what we call practical atheists. And it's sad to meet somebody who says, I don't believe in God and to contend with their atheism, but it's even sadder to find someone who does believe in God but does not include him. Does not include him in their plans. Or even include him related to the outcome of their plans. Everybody knows inherently that God rules the universe. And one should submit, shall I say, to that reality as it would relate to the universe that you are living in. Whether it's Dell, Apple, whatever the universe is that you're living in, God still rules. So you say, I believe in God. Does he have any say in your daily business? You say, well, I don't believe in mixing business with faith. All business is God's business if you're a believer. You cannot plan without God. It's presumptuous to do so. So what's the solution? Well, include God in your goal setting. In verse 15, James says, instead, you ought to say. So remember, he's just had a word for the, for the CEO and for the, for the up-and-comer, and he says, here's what you should say. Here's how to go about doing your business. If it is the Lord's will, we will live, and we will do this, and we will do that. If it is the Lord's will, you might wanna just in your Bible underline or circle that word if. Have you realized that even the best laid plans of mice and men fall through? There's a thing called Murphy's Law. And if things can go wrong, they will count on it. Life is just one big if. Right in the middle of life itself is the word if. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you don't either. I can make an educated guess, but planning without God is presumptuous. So the starting point in facing your future is to say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me not to do? And planning with prayer related to discernment in direction should be a part of yours and my life with this overwhelming sense that only God knows what will come tomorrow. And there ought to be a comfort and a sense of excitement related to what will come. For we know that whatever comes, God is there. For we know that whatever comes, God is allowing it. For we know that whatever comes, God will empower us and strengthen us to meet reality with the strength of Christ. This is what he's capable of doing in each one of our lives. Christians for hundreds of years used to write the initials DV at the end of their letters. And they'd sign their name and then they would write DV. And they stood for the Latin phrase, Dio Valente. And Dio Valente means the Lord willing. So people would sign their names on 
business documents and they would write on it DV, Dio Valente, meaning Lord willing. There used to be a significant God consciousness and there was an overwhelming sense that in the going about of business, only God truly knows what will unfold in the day that follows. So there's three possible responses to God's will. One is I can make reference to it. That's to say that, say that I admit that God has a will and I accept it and I acknowledge it. That's to make reference to it. And then there's another way to respond to God's will and that's to make deference to it. To make deference to it is to say I, I really want God's will and I, I accept it in my life. And then thirdly, I can show preference for it. More than anything else, I want God's will in my life. And what God wants, that's my plan. I deeply desire it. And while I might plan for a future, I prefer God's. Did you hear that nuance? While I might plan for a future, I prefer God's. His is better. No matter how much I plan, his is better. Always better. And Proverbs 16.1 says, we may make our plans, but God has the last word. Man proposes, God disposes. Proverbs 16.9, we should make plans, yes, counting on God to direct us. We need to stop praying, God bless what I'm doing here. And pray, Lord, if it be thy will, share with me, reveal to me, that I may be in step with your will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So planning with God is the first mistake. The second mistake is presuming about tomorrow. Taking it for granted, assuming that I'm going to live forever. I've got the rest of my life. Verses 14 and 16, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, the text says. You are a mist. Now this is, this is James. Again, James, like Solomon, is a straight shooter, and he just sort of throws it into your consciousness and says, look, let's not pussyfoot around here. Like, this is reality. This is what James does. And so in verse 14 to 16, he's saying, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? And he goes on to say, you are a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. There's a couple of reasons we shouldn't presume about the future and assume that we know what's going to happen tomorrow. The first is this, life is unpredictable. You don't even know, he says. None of us knows what's going to happen tonight, never mind next year. And all we can do is make best guesses because there is an unpredictability to life. A war could start and an economy can fall, housing prices can go up or they can go down. All of these things, unemployment might go up or might go down. We're not sure. There's no guarantee of perpetual successes. None of us have that guarantee. 
And we shouldn't let that frighten us, that we shouldn't let it frighten us, that, that, that life is so uncertain at times. We're not to be worried about it, but rather we are to trust God for tomorrow, Matthew 6, says. It says, don't worry about tomorrow, God's got it in hand. So life is unpredictable, and then life is brief. It says, you are a mist. The Greek word is atmos, where we get the word atmosphere. Your life is like a fog. It rolls in in the morning, but by noon it's burned off. Who knows how long you've got to live? None of us do. I remember sometime back, a, a friend of mine um, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And uh, he was an individual who was really well thought of in the denomination that I was a part of at that time, and everybody was sort of like, oh my goodness, you know? And I remember one person came up to me and said, I can't believe that, that, that this person has brain cancer, and, and oh my gosh, I just feel so terrible for them. And, and I had this sort of unbelievable sort of presence of mind like the, in that moment, and I just said, you know, not a one of us knows the length or the breadth of our days. And tomorrow, you or I can get similar news. It's just the way life is. Fascinating that the very person that came to me and was processing how our friend got brain cancer, he died two weeks later of a heart attack. The person with the brain cancer lived three or four more years. It's a tragedy when we hear about something of a diagnosis that is so terrible. But even then, we take what people tell us by way of information and we say, nevertheless, God. Nevertheless, God. What did my friend do with those four extra years after having been diagnosed with brain cancer? He served God heartily. Profound, vivid impact, focused, did not live with presumption, presumption. He just went about doing his business every day, trusting God for his life's breath. We don't know. When I go down and I see my dad, my 84-year-old dad who just celebrated his birthday and I'm hanging out with him, we had breakfast yesterday in Windsor, and I, I had breakfast with him, and he made a comment related to his health and feeling a little bit vulnerable, having had, you know, uh, uh, an issue in the last six months that really scared him. And, and uh, I just looked right at him, and I said, Dad, how long did Uncle Don live? 42 years. How long did Uncle Fred live? 62 years. How long did, you know, Mom's dad live? 31 years. I said, Dad, how old am I? 62. Yeah. I said, Dad, I don't know. I don't, you're 84. I, you're, you're, you can live to 94. So just live it. Live it with all your gusto. Live it. And, and just, you know, what's not working on your body right now, work on it. As if you've got 10 more years. Right? 84, that's the new 64. 
Come on. We don't know. We just got to do God's will. We cannot presume that we know the number of our days. I do so many funerals. Did one this week for a guy who's exactly 62 years old. Died of a heart attack. Did one just this week. You don't know. You just don't know. And so there's this sense in which we have to trust God related to what is before us. And in the trusting, we must not be presumptuous. We're but a mist. So Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So the solution is in, is in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, where it says, Seek God's will first and foremost. And then it goes on to say, Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Very important. So the third common mistake, let's go there. The third common mistake is putting off good. It's putting off doing good. And the text speaks to this. Related to our temporal nature and related to us not knowing what is to come. James then takes it another level and he says, well, yes, God has the future. He knows the length and the breadth of your days. He knows, he knows what is to unfold related to all aspects of your life. But don't you presume upon God. Don't you presume upon your time. Whatever you can do to do good to your neighbor, do it now. Do it now. He says, anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Again, James just firing. Anyone who knows to do good and doesn't do it, sins. James is talking about the issue of procrastination. I'm intending to do it. Ever met someone who is always aiming to do it? I always want to say, come on, man, pull the trigger. Let's go. Let's do this. There's a little, a little ditty that goes like this. Procrastination is my sin. It only causes me sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will tomorrow. <laughs> we love to put off. And James says, hey, that's a trap. Just because you know the right thing to do doesn't mean that you're going to do it. You've got you to go. You've got to make it happen. You've got to make it happen. The solution is to do it now. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When it is in your power to act, do not say to your neighbor, Come back later, I'll give it to you tomorrow. When you now have it with you, if somebody comes to you and asks you for a favor, don't say tomorrow or later. Don't procrastinate. If you can do it, do it now. Do your good now. There's three things that you can do with your life. You can spend it, you can waste it, or you can invest it. You can waste your life, and there's lots of ways to waste your life. But why not invest your life in the people who are around you and create a broader sense of what life is by way of investing in personal relationships? It used to be a commercial years ago. It was the Peace Corps commercial. And it doesn't matter how long you, you live if you're not doing anything with your life, is what the commercial said. 
Doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. It's not about the duration, it's about the doing. Remember the story that Jesus told us about the talents? The master gave one talent to one man, five to another, and then ten to another. He left and he came back years later. Two guys had doubled their money. A talent was like a weight of gold. And the third man had taken his gold, buried it in the ground, and did nothing with it. And the master said, the very least you could have done is put it in a passbook account and gotten interest on it. And he said, you wicked servant, why? What, have, what, have, what did he do? He did absolutely nothing, and that's a form of wickedness. Doing, doing nothing with your life is not helpful to the humanity that God wants us to be helpful towards. I can do all kinds of things that keep me from doing those no-no sins, but if I'm not going to do anything by way of affecting positive change in the world that's around me and doing good to those that I can do good with, then, then Jesus and God are saying, come on, get on board. Let's do something with our lives. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, he is ready to save you. God is a today, a right now kind of God. And if you're sitting here today, and you've never, ever come to a place of releasing your will and your sensibilities into the faith that is Christian, if you've never come to a place of fully, fully saying, hey, Jesus, I love you, and I, I love who you are. I love what you've done, and, and I trust you for my future. I want you to be the leader of my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to let God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit come into your life in such a way that they take care of whatever was your past, and they lead you into a glorious future where you get on program with what God is doing in the world. His will be done becomes your credo for life and living. If you're here and you've never ever made that decision to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life and the ultimate leader, listen, come and talk to me. I'll stay here at the front at the end of the service. Come and talk to me. I'd love to introduce you into that life, that life with Jesus. What I want to do is I want to pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. And we're so grateful for all that you have done in our lives. And yes, we can look back and analytically, we can actually, we can count the blessings and name them one by one. We can count the times that you delivered us when we needed deliverance. We can count the times when we were feeling hopeless and you, you brought just the right person into our life to infuse, enthuse us and fuse us with, with hope. God, I pray that we would heed the words of James here and not presume upon the future, not presume upon tomorrow, but know your will with regard to it and to get to it. And I pray that we would trust you related to finance, trust you related to relationships and family dynamics, trust you related to what will be the future. Forgive us for thinking that 
what has been will be. There's faith missing in that equation. What has been will be. God is left out. I pray that we would not leave you out. You are our hope. You are the change that we need. You are the wisdom that we require. Whatever tomorrow is to bring, whatever is to come upon us, God, you are with us. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that peace would prevail in every heart. But not just peace, a sense of great faith and hope for the future that is before us. We love you, God, and we will worship you now. In your precious name, Jesus, amen.